These are the facts. The world is in trouble, but we're going to straighten it out. We are going to build the wall, okay? Don't worry. America first. Together, we will make America great again. That's what I do. I fix things. We're going to straighten it out. It's time for Unprecedented, our look at the White House, our weekly look indeed, with me, George Hook, and Adrian Collins, inveterate White House watcher. And uh, Adrian, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, George. Uh, I must say the timeline of chaos uh, has gone on longer than I thought. I mean, if you think this man dominated the headlines in the build-up to the election, I've never seen a president of the U.S. Uh, dominate the headlines. He is the only story. He is, and it's because largely of his own doing. A lot of the things that he's rolling out, travel ban 2.0, blocked again, healthcare looks to be a total mess, the budget was a total disaster in his own words, and... Ari Fleischer, who was uh, in the White House with George W. Bush, he was press secretary, he put it best that Donald Trump sometimes counterpunches so hard he hits himself. And that's what's gone on since he came into the White House. He's so obsessed with battling somebody, with having somebody to give out to, with having somebody to shout at, that he ends up hurting his own case, which I think is what's going to happen across the board. This week has been special. Well, let's look at healthcare because I thought (laughs) healthcare was an easier bet than almost anything because the Republicans were vehemently opposed mm-hmm. to the Obama plan for health care. There was a reasonable case that a lot of, of people, not Republicans even, thought that because of the hike in premiums that this wasn't going to work anyway. So what's Trump care done? The point that many people were saying is anything but Obamacare, let's repeal it and replace it with something else. They were saying there's no, there's nothing that can be worse than Obamacare. There is, and they just proposed it. It's going to cut Medicaid for the poorest people or the people who have long-term illnesses that need to be dealt with. So it's going to hurt the people that probably voted for Trump. It's also not popular with the House Freedom Caucus. This is a big group of senators who are really far to the right, and they don't think it goes far enough. Republicans in in vulnerable states where there are a lot of poor people that would have voted for them, they think it's going too far. Democrats are obviously not going to go anywhere near it because it's repealing Obamacare. The realistic point is they had seven years of complaining about Obamacare to come up with a proposal and they haven't. They've come up with something that's really quite bad. Well, it depends, I must say, how you look at it. And the first thing, contrary to your opinion, I don't think poor people vote for Trump. I think there's a difference between poor people and working people. I think working people voted for Trump. In other words, what we would describe in Ireland as the working class, right? Particularly the white working class. The people this hurts, I suspect, are the people who always get hurt every time as a Republican cut. Because this isn't the first time the Republican president has put brought in some kind of cut for poor people and some kind of bonus for rich people. That's the way Republicans do it. So what this means is that black people and Hispanics will lose out because they were the big losers before Obamacare. And the whole point about Obamacare was that he brought these people into the health net. That was the point. Mm -hmm. And if you're what the Republicans like to call a tax and spend Democrat, that's as it is. I mean, that's the way we see it in Europe. That's European type socialist politics that the Americans hate. So therefore, 
Why Obamacare ultimately, I think, wasn't going to work was a bit like their idea of giving mortgages to people who couldn't pay mortgages and that blew up in their face. Ultimately, I think Obamacare was going to blow up in their face. Whether Trump care will actually blow up in his face or not, I don't think it will in this sense. I think it will create an awful lot of unhappy people. But I don't think it has the ability to sort of destroy the presidency in the way some of his other issues have. No, but it's interesting that you should say that you don't think it's going to hurt a lot of the people who voted for, for Trump. Trump was on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News this past week and he spoke about this idea of the tax cut, because we spoke about it last week, the yeah. tax cut that he's given to the super rich and who's going to benefit from the healthcare bill that he has essentially that's going to the floor later this week for a vote. And he spoke to Tucker Carlson and he basically recognised, we have an audio clip of it here, yeah, it's going to hurt the people who voted for me and I don't particularly care about it. So This bill has as one of its centrepieces a tax cut for investors that would primarily benefit people making over $250,000 a year. Already done pretty well in the past 10 years, as you know. Yeah. A Bloomberg analysis showed that counties that voted for you, middle class and working class counties, would do far less well under this bill yeah. than the counties that oh, voted for that. Hillary, the more affluent counties. I know. Seems like maybe this isn't consistent with the message of the last election. No, a lot of things aren't consistent, but these are going to be negotiated. Again, if this bill were perfect, if it was the greatest thing for Democrats and Republicans, we wouldn't get one Democrat vote. They're going to vote against it because of selfish, because of stupidity, because it's politics. It's, so, it's a very selfish thing. They're doing a very, very bad disservice to the country. That's the line that they're going to go with. So first of all, he acknowledges there, he says, I know it's bad for the people that voted for me. And secondly, it's not my fault, it's the Democrats' fault. And that's the line they're going to run with. Well, middle America, there are states which he won big time. Kentucky being one of them, where uh, it's going to hit really hard. Kentucky is a real, what what in the old days we would have called a kind of hillbilly state. There are things, I think, trying to analyse this man, I think is impossible. But if I were to make a, a bet now, I don't think he wants another four years. No, I don't think so. <laughs> right? Because I think he won the election and he was surprised that he won the election, so he doesn't want another four years. And then the second thing is he he doesn't have the kind of abilities to be a president. See, we didn't know that. It was all very well for all these smart people before the election to sort of say this, that, and the other thing. But there was no certainty that he was going to get around him, people. Because that's what you do. Yeah, that's you what, rely on the others around yeah, you to help you through. that's what Taoiseach do, do. That's what prime ministers do. That's what presidents do. I mean, that's what the civil service does in Britain and Ireland. I think that is the biggest charge you can level at him so far because it's the exact opposite of what he ran on. He is ineffective as a president. Yeah. He is bad at it. He's naturally bad at it. He has no natural talent for politics. He has natural talent for populism and he has a natural talent for getting people riled up. But he has no idea how to work with others to get things done because that's not how he's ever run a business. The other thing on this, I think, is cutting healthcare is not the only cut that he's making. He's got a load of budgetary cuts, which we'll get onto now briefly. But one of the kind of signifiers of, of a healthy nation is the infant mortality rate. And that has declined under Obama. It's probably going to go up when all these people fall off the Medicare bandwagon. Obama increased the safety net. Trump is pulling it back. And that's probably going to have more long-term effects than we can see in the immediate kind of first six months of this repeal bill. Yeah. Now, if we then come to the budget, um, mm. one, there's no civil service in America who sorts out the president, who minds his back. And so Trump makes all these decisions on his own. 
Second thing is where the budget is concerned. He proposes the budget, but he has to get it through Congress. So what's he proposed, first of all? Essentially everything except for Department of Defence, Homeland Security and Veterans Affairs should be cut back, almost completely gotten rid of. Like you were saying, this is going to go to a vote. This is going to have some political wrangling that goes to it. Same as the Health Care Act. But this budget is a skeleton budget. It's the plan for how the president thinks the whole government should work. His basic plan is pair everything back. Big government is wrong. Let's stop giving money, throwing it away here, there and everywhere on stuff like the environment and after school programs for children who need it. Let's leave them alone and let's put all our money into building a big wall. By any measure, this is a bad budget. No, I, you see, I always, when we're talking, I was trying to wear my American hat rather than my Irish hat. Not right? your Make America Great Again hat. <laughs> no, but, but the thing is that there's a natural reluctance amongst Republicans. It's why you become a Republican. And I talked to a very ordinary person who is a makeup artist in television, just a very ordinary person over the weekend in America, and she can't understand, like, why people get money when they're unemployed and so on. Like, why are they unemployed? Why don't they go out and get a job? That's the Republican way. The Republican way is if you just graft you'll make it. And if you don't graft tough luck because you're lazy or you're not interested or whatever. So I think a budget that cuts, whereas in Britain and Ireland, it would be seen as an awful budget. They don't see it in that way. Republicans don't. Democrats do. But but nevertheless, Obama said in in the first months in office eight years ago, there was this great thing about no child left behind. There's many children left behind in America now as there ever were. Well, that's a problem with the deficit. And they are looking at... And they the have deficit to, is enormous. The deficit is enormous. They do have to cut it back, right? There's often a thing, you know, it has to be compared to a household budget you want to balance the books. That's not necessarily strictly true. Having a bit of deficit means you're trading with other people. But in this case, the cuts that he's making are so wide-ranging and will have such detrimental effects to the economy down the line. He's stripping money back from the IRS, It's regularly shown that if you invest $1 in the IRS in getting the taxes that your people are not paying, let's not say who's not paying their taxes, get that money, $1 makes four if you invest in the IRS. There was a $458 billion tax gap between 2008 and 2010. If you chase down that money, that would help the deficit. But one of the things that, and I just could not believe it when I heard it, Mick Mulvaney, who is Director of the Office of Budget Management, He went out and he defended these cuts. The clip that we have here is inexplicable. They're talking about after-school programs, essentially cutting programs for poor kids who get fed at school. And he had this to say about it. There's a program called The Shine that's in Pennsylvania, rural counties of Pennsylvania, that provides after-school educational programs. I'm curious what you say to those Americans in the community where they tell me today that 800 individuals will no longer, children who need it most, will no longer be provided in those most needy of communities the educational care they need. They're supposed to be educational programs, right? I and mean, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to help kids who, can't, who don't get fed at home get fed so they do better in school. Guess what? There's no demonstrable evidence they're actually doing that. There's no demonstrable evidence they're actually helping results, helping kids do better in school, which is what, when we took your money from you to say, look, we're going to go spend on an after-school program, the way we justified it was these programs are going to help these kids do better in school and get better jobs. You describe this as a hard-power budget, but is it also a hard-hearted 
budget. No, I don't think so. I, in fact, I think it's I think it's probably one of the most compassionate things we can do to actually tell you're only focusing on half of the equation, right? You're focusing on recipients of the money. We're trying to focus on both the recipients of the money and the folks who give us the money in the first place. And I think it's fairly compassionate to go to them and say, look, we're not going to ask you for your hard-earned money anymore. I can see why you're upset at Mulvaney. You because know. he's just said, no. let's take let's no. take food away from hungry children and no. food away from elderly. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. What he said was, there is no demonstrable evidence that giving kids a hot dinner makes them better educated. Now, we know it does because we know that that's why we have breakfast clubs in our poor areas and our national schools. But that's never been the way in America. You could give black kids in in parts of America Michelin-starred meals every day and their chances of getting out of poverty and getting out of unemployment are limited because America, America is not a very nice place. It is never, under Democrats or Republicans, neither of them have demonstrably shown that they can cure the vast gulf between rich and poor that is America. Neither of them. The Democrats do a bit better, but they don't, they don't fix it because it's unfixable in America. When I was there for the election, we stayed in DuPont Circle Hotel in Washington. Expensive part of town, a really good Doyle Collection Hotel, and a beautiful square, DuPont, DuPont Circle. Well, Circle, sorry. <laughs> DuPont Circle. And there, in the middle of DuPont Circle, are nothing but people sleeping homeless and rough. Every bench, instead of, you know, me sitting there reading the paper, is a homeless person lying on the bench. And I don't deny that person a bench, but what I mean is you go and you say, here I am in the richest country in the world. Here I am in the capital of the richest country in the world. And all I'm looking at are homeless people. To survive in America... Huge numbers of people have two and sometimes three jobs. Like, I remember in a previous trip to America having having breakfast, like, in some diner, and I couldn't sleep, so I was there when the diner opened at 6 a.m. And this girl, I can remember her name to this day, Naomi, because she kept talking about her dogs. And, like... She said, well, I get up at 3 a.m. My dogs are still asleep. And then I have to come here and do breakfast. And I said, OK, you're finished 12, you know, you can have a nap, you know. No, no, no. At 12 o'clock, I go to my other job. And then I go to my other job. And she's in all these menial jobs, three of them, to make a living. So that's America. And therefore, I admire people like you who are typical European liberals. And I class myself in that. I just, I just been in America more, and I see how hard it is to fix. Trump believes that if you give rich people more money, it'll trickle back down to the rest yeah. of everybody. Now that's that's <laughs> horse manure. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what in Reagan's time was called zombie economics. But he believes that, and so do the vast proportion of Republican supporters. And it's true. You, there are deep societal problems that are not going to be fixed by giving a child in school a hot meal but it is at a very basic level one thing Trump understands is PR Mick Mulvaney standing out and going out and he defended it on all the Sunday shows when he was interviewed but, but by But the poor people don't watch the Sunday shows No I but mean, I'm that's saying the difference. from an optics point of view the headline is 
Trump takes food out of hungry child's mouth. That's a bad headline. I'm not a political comms. I'm available if somebody wants a quick word with me and I can give you a bit of guidance. Maybe Mick will give me a shout. But all you have to say is we're not getting the results we want out of this programme. Let's disperse the money properly. But if you don't really want to be president in the first place, but if you don't want to get a second term, but if you're really at sea in the job anyway, then... The budget is only one of the torpedoes that sink your ship. I'm not sure this man cares. This is a... I don't think he cares about anything. No. I think it's quite difficult to find out what this man cares about. Like, if, if somebody, if you stop somebody in the street and say, what does George Hook care about? Somebody might say rugby. You know, cyclists. Or <laughs> cyclists. So, you know, you know, George Hook cares about something. Yeah. And, and most of us do. Most of us care. So if we, were, if we were elected, we'd have a kind of a policy that reflected what we care about. I don't think this man does. And I must say, I always thought he was going to get elected. But I also thought, and I've said it consistently, that the White House was a civilizing place. And I thought the White House and the people around him would make him a civilised president. I'm not sure it will. Where do you want to close with? I think we should close with a bit of diplomacy for Trump. We talked last week about the wiretapping allegations and they've come up again. The director of the FBI, James Comey, this is so bizarre. He's sitting in front of a House Intelligence Committee hearing and he is essentially saying that, yes, they are looking at links between Russia and Trump during the election. Now, Democrats were annoyed because he said that they started this investigation in July So they were working on this already. And he decided in October to say that they were looking at more Clinton emails. So he could have said, we're looking at more Clinton emails and we're also looking at Trump. That would have balanced out. But he decided only to go for Clinton. But that's besides the point. Clinton lost. It's over. This is extraordinary. Dan Rather, who everybody knows is one of the kind of most decorated... Father of television. Yes, exactly. He wrote that if Watergate, on a scale of 1 to 10, Watergate's a 9. This now, at the minute, before anything else comes out, is about a 5 or a 6. And this might be the scandal that takes down Trump. And this might be the scandal that we then recognise all other scandals by. It's just extraordinary for the director of the FBI to come out and say, yes, we're investigating. Trump then tweets while he's sitting down watching this on cable TV, probably should be doing something a bit more useful with his time. He tweets that the director of the FBI has said there's no investigation going on, which is a lie. And then that tweet gets fed back in for Comey to have to deny it again in the middle of this hearing. I can't understand what's going on. And then he brings this up. He gets Sean Spicer to repeat allegations that the British intelligence services were looking at involved in the tapping of Trump via a request from Obama. That was a flat out lie. So you're alienating another ally. He has Merkel over. He won't shake her hand. He repeats the wiretapping claims. He answers a load of questions. He makes a joke about her being wiretapped by Obama. That's another ally they're having a go at. Then he goes off tweeting about NATO, that the Germans owe us money for NATO. He's weakening all these alliances that they already have. And from a point of view of he came into the the job and he was messing up his own country, fine. Now he's messing up all these alliances that the Americans have made. It's affecting other people outside of America now. This is a truly bizarre set of circumstances. One thing is certain. um, When Adrian Collins and I, uh, six or eight weeks ago, sat down and said, why don't we talk about the Trump White House every week? Uh, I must say I questioned whether we'd be able to talk about it every week and what could we talk about. Seems to me, Adrian... We're going to have plenty to talk about for as long as this presidency lasts. We will have plenty of fuel for this fire, I think. (laughs) Adrian Collins and myself, George Hook, 
in unprecedented our weekly look at the White House.